Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Grounded Roots with Sam Black. Sam is a certified psychic medium, wellness coach, and is the executive director of Grounded Roots Wellness Incorporated and is your answer to finding wellness in every area of life. Good afternoon and welcome to Grounded Roots with Sam Black. I am your host, Sam Black, and I am today looking out a beautiful, sunny window in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And you know, that might not seem significant, but today's show, you will see how, what a gift it is to be able to actually look up at the sunshine again. Because as some of you know, I um, do have a brain injury. I was in an accident a few years ago, and one of the side effects of that is I have a very big sensitivity to light. And today's a good day. Today the curtains are open. I'm enjoying the sunshine and the view. And I'm so fortunate and blessed to be with all of you this afternoon. So thank you for joining us. So for those of you who are new to the show, it's all about bringing wellness into every area of life. And my husband and I have a wellness center here in Niagara Falls called Grounded Roots Wellness, hence the Grounded Roots of Sam Black. And that space is all about healing and bringing wellness to every area of life. So the show really is you know, um, an extension of what I'm doing in my day-to-day. So thank you for joining us. And today we have the most wonderful guest. Her name is Amy Zelmer. She is doing fantastic things in the world to raise awareness about brain injuries and TBI. And so I'm so excited to welcome her here. So Amy is an award-winning author, speaker, and advocate. She's frequently contributing to the Huffington Post and has created her own private Facebook group for survivors and she also produces a podcast series so she's traveling the world traveling the country at least the united states with her yorkie pixie and she's raising an awareness about traumatic brain injury and how significant brain injuries are you know there's that myth out there that it's really just people playing football or hockey and you know i've got to tell you it's a lot more common than you realize and it's impacting people around the world so, Amy, welcome to Ground of Roots. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Sam. What a lovely introduction. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. You and I have connected before, and I just I love connecting with you, and I'm so excited to share you with our listeners. Thank you. So, Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? In particular, what was your life like before having a brain injury? Um, before having a brain injury, um, I was I was fairly recently divorced. I had just moved into a beautiful artist loft in St. Paul, um, and I was running. I have a I'm a professional photographer, so I've been running a photography studio for the past 20 years, um, as well as doing business coaching. Um, so I guess. That's the gist of what I was doing before my brain injury. <laughs> awesome. And did you know much about brain injuries before you actually acquired one? Uh, no. I mean, I, you know, I've heard the term. Um, I don't think that I ever really knew anyone. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't very familiar. 
And, you know, it's so funny because although I was aware of it, working in social worker, you know, I would see the term come across paperwork and things like mm-hmm. that. But one thing I wasn't aware of were the long-lasting impacts and effects. So it was, you know, if they weren't currently seeing a neurologist, it was very common that we chalked it up to there's not currently an issue going on. And, you know, I look back now about how many different people were really struggling with following direction and with staying on task, being on time, um, being able to react, sometimes overreacting. And I can remember, you know, thinking there's got to be more to this, but I wish I had that puzzle piece of, hey, this is a big warning sign here that there's still impacts of brain injury going on. And so I think that's one of the common misconceptions about brain injury. And since I've shared, been sharing my story on how brain injuries impacted my world, I've had so many people coming out and sharing their stories with me. And I've realized it's so much more common than I originally thought. And I know you've had a similar experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. I The, the one story I remember, as I was in elementary school, and a girl that was a couple grades older than me, she had fallen off her bike and hit her head. And, you know, this was <laughs> this was like 30 years ago, right? And they sent her home, and she went to bed, and she did not wake up in the morning. And that story stuck with me. Um, you know, I was at a very impressionable age, so it stuck with me forever um, about how I knew innately that a concussion was a big deal, but I had no idea, like you said, the long-term effects of it. Um, I had no idea, you know, here I'd be three years later still struggling and coping with it, um, you know. And even the doctors were telling me, oh, you should feel better in four to six weeks. Oh, well, it could take six months. Oh, well, you know, by a year you should be, you know, 100%. And it's like, you know, at a year and I'm not even any better. It's like, what, what is wrong with me? Um but just goes to show you that even the medical profession doesn't entirely get it. And so that's why I'm so passionate as well as how, as you are about just, you know, really helping educate people um, about these long-term effects after a brain injury. Absolutely. And, you know, I did experience the exact same thing. There's just so much that's not known. And so I love what you're doing, sharing would you mind sharing with everyone, how did you acquire your brain injury? Because I've shared, mine was from a car accident. So how did yours happen? I fell on the ice. I live in Minnesota, and um, it was February of 2013. I was walking down our driveway, which it's not like a steep hill, but it definitely has an incline to it. Um, and it was about 10 below out this particular day. And Pixie, my little Yorkie, she wanted nothing to do with walking. So I had picked her up and had her in my arm. And I had zero warning. I mean, I hit that ice. And the next thing I knew, I heard my head um, making impact with the ground. And I just remember being like, oh, crap, I just hit my head. Like, I knew that it was bad. 
and I sat up. I, I, the doctors think I, I blacked out for at least like a minute or two because Pixie had walked away from me um, in the time that I was lying there. She was about 10 feet away from me. Um, and when I got up, my head, it's just the excruciating pain. I thought for sure I cracked my head open, um, but I didn't. Um, but just the excruciating pain, and I was having lots of really weird visual stuff going on. Um, so I knew right away when I got up that I was not okay. I knew I needed to get to a doctor. Yeah, and it's so interesting, too. So this is something really important for people to realize. The way you find out about your brain injury is different for every person. So with Amy, she knew right away. She knew right away something wasn't right. And I know for me, the people around me knew right away. Like my husband had said to my supervisor, apparently she's got a concussion because I was repeating myself. But for me, I just didn't feel present. Like I didn't feel the pain until the next day. And certainly two days later was when the pain was the worst. And it was really interesting because it, it was just on one side of my head. And I can remember saying to my husband, it's like you could draw a line halfway down my head and it just hurts on one side. And from what I've heard from some of the neurologists I've seen, that's actually pretty common. So again, it comes in different ways. Some of you are going to see little birds flying around your head and some people don't. They just either feel foggy or not present or dizzy or you may be unconscious. Like there's so many different varying degrees. And those degrees of the initial response are not an indicator of how severe the injury is. So that's another thing for people to really realize. You can have a traumatic brain injury without being knocked unconscious. So that's another myth out there that people think is common. So, Amy, tell us about your journey then. So shortly after you had your brain injury, you did go see the doctors. What happened after that? Um, I went to the doctor and, you know, he confirmed that I had a pretty bad concussion. I had torn muscles in my neck and chest and throat and everywhere. <laughs> I had really bad whiplash. Um, you know, they were they were most concerned about treating the physical. Um, and, you know, like I said, he told me six, four to six weeks I should be feeling better. And when it got to that point, I wasn't any better um, I have tons of aphasia, which is where you can't come up with the word, tons and tons of memory problems. Um, you know, I just, I couldn't focus. I mean, it was just, I had a lot going on. And so at that point, he decided it was best to send me to the neurologist, have an MRI, all that jazz. And of course, by, I think it was eight weeks when I got into her so of course, you know there was there was nothing. My my MRI was clean, um, and so you know she was basically like, "Well, we'll just give it some time." Um, mm-hmm. And again, she was more interested in the whiplash component of it. So um, I struggled along for over a year. Uh, it was about a year and a half when I went back to her, and she finally sent me in for a. Um, neuropsychological exam actually it was more like 15 months at that point she sent me in for a neuropsychological exam and um (laughs) and so the neuropsychologist when I went over my test results she 
explain to me, you know, how they come up with their with their rankings and, you know, based on your age and all this. And, of course, they don't know your baseline from before you were hurt, um, so they have nothing to compare it against, but this is on just the general population. And she explained how you can't fake the test. And then she proceeded to tell me that I maybe didn't try hard enough and I tried to fake the test because I scored too poorly in short-term memory. You know, I find it because I had a similar experience. Um, I think it was during second um, round of assessments for the neuropsych. They um, they had said the same thing that they felt that I was um, not trying hard enough because the scores were consistent of someone with. I'm trying to remember the wording. Quickly progressing dementia. And I was horrified when I read this because I said I was not faking. I genuinely was doing the best I could. So does this mean then that things are going to get worse? Like it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And no one even followed up on it. It just blows my mind. But I find it so interesting that here in Ontario, I have that experience and you in Minnesota had an exact same experience, and I know that we're not the only one. So I really hope yeah. someone out there listening and decides to do some research on this because I swear I was not faking. I genuinely was doing my best. And the one thing with a brain injury is we get brain fatigue. So we can start out oh, yeah. strong. And, of course, if you know you have an appointment the day before, you're planning, you're resting more, you're limiting screen time, you're limiting light, you're doing everything you can so that you'll be – good enough to go to this appointment the next day, which is the behind the scenes stuff that people don't see. And then as the assessment goes on and it's many hours, brain fatigue kicked in. So by the end, you're just a hot mess, you know? So um, that's another really interesting thing. So Amy, sorry to interrupt, but I'd love to hear more. What happened after that? So, you know, she basically told me, I probably had maybe faked a little bit. And I just looked at her and I'm like, this is what I've been complaining about. I'm like, my me- my short-term memory, like I can't remember two seconds ago. Like it was just, I was struggling so hard. And that's what I have been complaining to all my doctors about. And she's just like, well, maybe we should put you on Ritalin and some antidepressants because I think you're depressed. And I'm like, you know, oh I'm just goodness. sitting in this office like this woman is a neuropsychologist. She is a doctor. Like, what? <laughs> and she was working for the neurology clinic. So, like, you know, someone who should understand brain injury and clearly she doesn't have a freaking clue. And mm-hmm. I just left so pissed off because I knew I didn't fake it. Like, yeah. I, I knew my memory was that bad. And it was just, you know, it was just unbelievable that someone with that level of education could treat me that way. Um, and I did not, I told her, no way, I do not want Ritalin or antidepressants. I will try to manage this on my own. Because um, I knew that Ritalin, especially, you know, that's just a chemical that you're putting in your body. Like, that's not going to help my brain heal. Um, it might, you know, mask some symptoms or whatever, but it's not going to help me heal at all. And same with the antidepressants. I didn't feel, you know, I was at a at a um, a critical juncture where I absolutely had to have that. 
Um, so again, you know, I knew it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually help me heal. Um, and at about my one, it was actually my one year anniversary. I wrote um, a blog post on my own personal blog about my journey because I have had a lot of friends drift away. Like, oh my God, it's just a concussion. Seriously, get over it. Um, I had one person tell me, you know, at least it's not cancer. It's just like, I just can't believe what people say. Um, And these are people I considered actual friends. Um, And so my blog post, a friend, another friend had suggested I submit it to HuffPost. And I kind of balked at it. I'm like, well, they're they're not going to take it. Um, But they did. I heard back right away and they took it. And that's when things went really kind of crazy viral. And I started finding all these other brain injury survivors across the world. And it was so powerful because up until that point, I hadn't really met anyone else with a brain injury. And you really start to think you're very, very alone because your friends and your family don't get it. So that was a really pivotal time um, to understand, oh, my gosh, I am not alone in this. Um, and, and it helped other people as well. It helped all these other people that read the article know that they weren't alone also. Um, so that, that happened um, at my one-year mark, and um, it just kind of led to this crazy journey of advocacy. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, you know, I really want to spend a moment touching on a couple of different things. So the first is the automatic jump to the Ritalin and antidepressants. And, you know, certainly I was, I don't know what it was that they had given me initially. I believe it was a form of an antidepressant, but for some reason it helps with concussion headaches. And so I was on that. And then when I was aware enough to what was happening, I said, no, I told you guys, I don't take medication. So how can I get off this? And I said, well, slowly decrease because your headaches are going to come back. And certainly they did. But the big key for me, Amy, was I was well aware of everything going on. And I didn't feel that I needed an addiction issue in addition to all of the pain management and brain injury and injuries that I had. I said, why would I add that to that with addiction? And I have heard stories from other people where they did get brain injury and it did lead to addictions because of the medications that they were put on. So I think that's a really key component for people to understand out there that yes, there are some prescriptions that can mask. Personally, I'm not a doctor. I don't ever prescribe or diagnose, but I haven't yet come across any research that has shown that these prescriptions actually heal the brain injury, but they do help mask the symptoms. Um, So I think that's really key to mention. The other piece, though, is that whole piece around depression. So when you're dealing with social isolation, which is another really big common theme around brain injuries, I know personally I lost a lot of my friends or at least they distanced themselves enough that I wasn't really involved with their lives anymore. And I've had some friends share with me that it was just too painful for them to be around me because I looked so vacant and not present. And it was like they, I was, my body was there, but they couldn't find me anymore. And I, you know, definitely I empathize. I can imagine how 
frightening that would have been for them. But at the same time, for me, for my family, it was very, a very isolating time. And certainly still there are times it's very isolating because we tend to show our best selves. We tend to show up when we're having a good day. So people aren't really understanding the behind the scenes of, hey, if you haven't heard from her for a few days, it's probably been a rough headache, you know, things like that. Right. Did you have any struggles around depression and, and loss? Because certainly when we have a brain injury, we have to, you know, there are a lot of things we can't do anymore. So did you struggle with any depression or grieving from what you had lost? Oh, definitely. Um, I knew I was very depressed. And, you know, I was dealing with some very chronic pain issues, too, um, from my whiplash and my dislocated sternum. Um, And so you add that on top of the brain injury. And, you know, your brain's using all its energy to try to heal the physical stuff that's wrong with me. And so I was just in this massive fog, um, And, you know, you were talking a little bit about depression earlier because of self-isolation and all that. But I also think some of the depression comes from the fact that we've really screwed up the wiring in our brain. You know, like we hit our head. It would be similar to dropping your laptop on the cement, right? Like you're going to mess up. You know, you're going to mess up the laptop. You're going to scramble it. Um, So I think some of that depression is also like just that chemical um, and the wiring is just off in our brain too. Because I remember like just everything made me cry. I'm like, why am I crying at this? It's not sad. You know, like everything made me cry. It was ridiculous. Um, So the depression, you know, I knew I was depressed. And, you know, she wanted to put me in antidepressants. And I was like, you know, I know that I'm depressed, but I think it's very situational. Like, I had enough awareness, um, and I knew, you know, had it not kind of gotten better on its own, I would have definitely considered the antidepressants, um, but I wasn't willing to just try that first. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah, I wanted to give it some time on its own naturally. Absolutely. And the same with myself. I I did not take um, antidepressants. And I mean, the diagnosis given is um, severe chronic depression. But I understood that it was all from the situation from the injuries and accidents. I mean, dealing with chronic pain all the time, social isolation, losing my job, not feeling that I was in control of my life anymore, not feeling that I could resolve issues on my own, like I had done in the past. Those things I knew were all building and contributing to what was going on. So that was my choice for choosing to not go the antidepressant route because for me, it wasn't a chemical issue that way. It really was all issues with respect to the injury and the accident. So if I could help heal myself with understanding where I was at and where I could go from here, really how I treated my symptoms and certainly continue to treat those symptoms because it's not something that just magically disappears. But certainly, I mean, like I said, we don't diagnose on this show, so your practitioner and you know what's best for your body, but 
I, you know, same as me, I chose not to go the antidepressant route, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't struggling with depression. And it was something that came and went, you know, certainly when I was involved with the insurance um, assessments, it would be significantly worse because you're having to recount what happened, what are you dealing with, what have you lost over and over to a bunch of strangers, which just keeps triggering and re-traumatizing what you've already been through. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic of, you know, dealing with what's really going on, but also understanding that you don't have the same brain function that you had before to process everything you're going through. And I also want to, you brought up a point, you know, like, um, you know, talking it over it's between you and your doctor if you should go on antidepressants or, or any medication. But, I mean, I want everyone to remember that they are the ones that can make the decisions. Like, she really was pushing me hard to take this Ritalin and antidepressant, and I was like, no, thank you. Um, you know, had I not been a little more strong-willed, I probably would have caved in and taken them. Um, and I really think they would have hindered me in my recovery. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you feel that you should be on antidepressants, absolutely try them. But if you're, you know, like like you and I, like we were more aware of why we were feeling the way we were feeling, um, you know, so, you know, use your best judgment or bring your spouse or a friend or a family member with to try to help um, figure it out too. Yeah, absolutely. And actually all of your appointments, if possible, bring someone with you regardless. Because as Amy mentioned earlier with the memory issues, certainly I still continue to have struggles with memory. And so I might remember that I went somewhere but I don't necessarily remember everything that happened. And it's interesting because with these assessments, there were people that I had seen. For example, um, I had the most lovely occupational therapist early on. But because of my background in social work and in education, I had been already doing a lot of the things that she would recommend. So I didn't necessarily need her there um, in that capacity. But then probably a year and a half later or so, I did need to see her again because I was at another another hurdle in the recovery where I needed some extra help. And although I could remember that I quite liked her and she was kind and respectful to me because I have to tell you, I met unfortunately so many professionals who were very disrespectful and disregarded mm-hmm. my feelings. But I remembered for her that she didn't. And so I saw her again, and the funny thing was that I remembered these things about her, but I didn't remember her. So, of course, when she walked up to me and she said hi to me, I had no idea who she was. So I'm trying to assess, okay, is is this Claudia, and am I being rude that I don't remember her face? Um, I have the name here, or is she the receptionist? You know, and you're second-guessing because these are things in the past you would remember if you'd met someone but there were so many people that I had met and I would, I would know their energy and I'd know their smile, but I wouldn't necessarily know who they were. And so bringing someone with you to an appointment can really help with all of that. 
and help you um, kind of jog your memory. Or if you don't remember what happened, they can maybe take notes for you. And certainly, um, I know all the notes and journaling that I've done throughout my um, my journey have been so beneficial because I can go back and recount. So even though I don't technically remember some things, I know what happened. You've had similar situations you with know, me? You know, it's interesting what you just said about how you journaled um, your appointments and whatnot. And I've always been a journaler um, and a writer, but during all my doctor stuff, I would forget I'd be like, okay, I have to, I have to remember to journal how I, like, I wanted to even just keep a headache journal, like how bad my headache was each day, and I would just forget, and it was so yeah. frustrating. Like, and my girlfriend would be like, "Why aren't you writing this down?" And I'm like, "Cause I forget." And she's yeah. like, "Well, re- write it down when you remember." And I'm like, "But then I don't remember anymore." Like, I mean, it's just, it's such a. It's a big vicious circle with the memory. Absolutely. And, you know, I wish I had remembered to bring my journal to the actual appointment. Um, And that's not something that I did remember to do. But certainly about a year and a half to two years out, I started remembering to journal after appointment. Um, But it's really interesting. Like I came across so many little notes to myself and files on my computer of I guess I would just be trying to process during the night and stuff and I'd get out and write the emotion just to get it out because I'm not an angry person and those people who know me like I'm like super patient I I just am not but I was really angry Amy I felt so violated with everything I was losing so there's these snippets of writing that I consciously know I wrote that. It's in my personal computer and in my files. But I'm like, wow, who's that girl that's so angry? But I see them now as little treasures and gems because without that, that would be a whole piece of this story I wouldn't even be aware of because I, hadn't, I had no recollection of writing any of it. But I know that I did. It's, cr- it's a crazy journey. It sure is. It absolutely is. But your journey has really brought you to a great place of advocacy. And, you know, you've been doing your blogging. You've got the Facebook group, which is so helpful to so many people. And I really encourage people, reach out to other brain injury survivors. I promise you are not alone. Um, Your Facebook group helps with that. But you've also written a couple of books. Can you share with everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, the whole not feeling alone thing, um, I kind of touched on this earlier, but I'll I'll elaborate a little more about how when you're in the middle of dealing with this brain injury and you've never known someone before really who's had one, right? Like if if you break a leg, you probably know someone who's broken a leg before or, you know, even cancer patients, there's support groups, the doctor's the doctors know how to how to treat you and, and who to connect you with. And, but with brain injury, there's none of that unless you've been in the hospital. If you were hospitalized, sometimes you'll get connected with a support group. But I got none of that. And so I'm trying to figure this all out on my own. And when that HuffPost piece went viral and people started reaching out to me, that's when I was like, okay, 
I'm I'm on to something here. There's something bigger that I need to be doing with this. Um, and so I continued writing on HuffPost. Um, I was invited to go out to Washington, D.C. to Brainger Awareness Day. Um, they have a, a really amazing day out in D.C. for um, it's for medical professionals, it's for the, it's for the um, legislators, it's for survivors, it's for whoever wants to go. And um, that's when I met some really amazing people doing advocacy work. And I'm like, okay, this is this is what I'm meant to do. This is this is the whole reason I felt right. Like you got to find the reason. And so I just kept writing for HuffPost. Um, I started going out and speaking. I started by speaking locally at Rotary groups because um, they meet every single week and they always need a speaker. And I'm like, this is a great way to just educate just the average person about what a brain injury and a concussion is. Um, and I was getting an amazing response to that. And then I started speaking at um, brain injury support groups and conferences and um it's it's just it's so important um, for for the survivor to know they're not alone, but the caregiver to understand, yeah, this is normal behavior from a brain injury. Because I think so often caregivers are just like, what the heck is wrong with my child or my spouse? And it's like, well, they have a brain injury. And I'm also, you know, to educate the the healthcare professional and the medical student because. I feel like it's just so misunderstood, um, and I get it that there's that you can't treat a brain injury, but you can treat you can you can develop coping skills and you can just encourage and offer support, um, you know. And I'm also now starting to get involved with some with some research and finding out, you know, what's being done to try to help prevent and help. Um, um, help monitor brain health. So there's just so much, I feel like we're just on that beginning edge of awareness. And I think it's really going to explode over the next decade or so. And I think we'll see some big developments and strides made. Um, but it's it's just been so great connecting with all of these other survivors. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, you know, I love that you're doing all this work, and I know for me as well, just being able to connect with other people and having people reach out to me and say, you know, your, your story and hearing your story, I'm, I'm feeling more normal. Because with a brain injury, of course, people can't see it, you know. And so a lot of people just really don't understand. They'll say, oh, that person's faking, or, oh, everybody has headaches, or, you know, oh, forgetting things is normal. I forget things too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And oh, well, why don't you just get out and do some exercise? You know, things like that. But you know, that exercise piece. There's a whole other function to that. In that, I I know when I was in physio, and I was in physio almost every day for over a year. That's a long time to be in physiotherapy, and. One of the things that I was so blessed to have was they had a treadmill in the pool. Because if I was on the treadmill out in a the pool. A treadmill gym, in the pool? Yes, it was the coolest thing ever. Check out Martell and Mitchell. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is the coolest thing ever. So I'd be in the gym, 
And if, if my heart went, rate went over a certain amount, I'd get dizzy and fall. And, I mean, I'd be out for the day. You feel almost, it feels like you're almost drunk or hungover. Like, it, it was a horrible feeling. Yeah. But in the pool, I could be on that treadmill for 40 minutes and be just fine. And I thought, that's the strangest thing ever. But what it is, is something to do with the pressure from the water doesn't spike your heart rate or something. I'm not exactly sure on the science. Yeah. But it allowed me Yeah, to my heart rate still spikes. Even three years later, it's still struggle. It's a big struggle for me, too. So I know some people, they'll say, oh, well, you're kind of heavy. Maybe you should just go exercise. But I'm not able to exercise (laughs) the way other people can. And, and, you know, by the time you're done that whole dialogue, they think you've made up an excuse for not exercising when, in fact, no, there's a physical issue that happens. Um, Certainly, though, I did find DC yoga so helpful that something that I am able to do because it does help you keep your heart rate down. So that's, if you're listening and you want to get moving, check out gdpyoga.com. Certainly, it's really, really helpful. But, you know, people don't understand what's happening. So raising awareness and sharing your stories, that's how other people are going to understand. And the more of us that are sharing, the more people are going to feel safe to share their story because there's a lot of stigma out there for brain injury as well. And I can assure you that you still have beautiful, wonderful gifts to share regardless of the things that you're no longer able to do. So one thing I want to do is really talk about some of the causes of brain injury very quickly because a lot of people believe it's just a sports injury. So certainly it is very prevalent in sports. In particular, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is in children's sports, soccer is a big one, lacrosse, all of these sports have a really high concussion rate. Unfortunately, these kids are being told to walk it off. Check it out. If your child has had a concussion, please take it seriously. Also, strokes, stroke victims also suffer some brain injury much of the time. Accidents and falls. Amy, do you have any other um, causes of brain injury that I haven't mentioned. Uh, did you say car accident? Yeah, car accidents is huge. And I mean, and and also you don't have to hit your head. Like mm-hmm. if you have whiplash, you likely have a concussion. If your head had that much momentum to give you whiplash, it means that your brain flashed around in your skull as well. So yes. you do not have to hit your head, and that's a huge misconception as well. Absolutely. So you think about everybody going to amusement parks. And, you know, when I can, I can remember being a kid and at least oh, twice, <laughs> at least twice, I'm a big, I'm a roller coaster freak and I love speed, right? Of course, now I'm not able to do those rides. But I used to go on them over and over and over again. And, you know, those bars that would go over. I can't tell you how many times I would have hit my head on those bars. And after I'd be growing up and my parents would think it was sunstroke because of course I'm a little pale baby right like (laughs) I get sunburned so easily (laughs) and now I wonder I wonder how many times that was chalked up to sunstroke from being out in the sun all day but it actually was concussion hit my head on those roller coasters and the quick stops you know we just don't think about that stuff but it's really important to Start thinking about it and understanding that just because we don't see the brain doesn't mean we don't need to protect it. Wear your bike helmet. Be safe. Do things to protect your brain because, you know, it's the only one we've got. Yes. All right. So, Amy, can you share with everyone um, 
what are some of the things you've got going on coming up? Because I know you're heading out on tour soon. Can you share a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I am going out east. Um, I am. It, it all is part of Brain Injury. March is Brain Injury Awareness Month. Um, so my first stop, I'm actually going to Syracuse, New York, um, to meet with Motion Intelligence. They are doing a lot of research and development. Um, so I'm real excited to meet with them, hear what they have going on. And then I'll go to Richmond, Virginia, where I will be doing a book reading at the clubhouse. And then I'm speaking at the Virginia Brain Injury Conference. And then I have a week in between that and Brain Injury Awareness Day. So I'm going to go stay with a friend in Georgia. But then while I'm down there, I'm going to go to Florida um, to speak to NeuroLife Rehab Center. Um, and then Stephanie and I will head up together to go to D.C. And while we're in D.C., I'll be speaking to Argosy University. We'll be doing a book reading at the clubhouse there. And then obviously going to Brain Injury Awareness Day. And I'll be meeting with all of my legislators while I'm out there. Um, this year, I feel it's more important than ever to really get in front of my senators and my congresswomen. Um, you know, about the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, people with brain injuries are very at risk of losing health care because now they have a pre-existing condition. So I'm doing a lot of advocacy around health care um, as well as brain injury. So it's going to be a really busy trip. It's packed full, um, but it's just it's going to be really great. I'm very excited. I love that you're doing this. And, you know, I really want to mention the healthcare piece. You know, a lot of you listening, some of you are from the U.S., some of you are from around the world, and many of you are Canadians. So in Canada, you need to understand that a lot of services you need as a brain injury survivor are not covered by our healthcare system. Certainly the physio that's required, the craniosacral therapy, massage, all of these things, even down to your um, occupational therapist, a lot of this is not covered by your healthcare provider plan. So um, make sure that you understand what is covered, what else is out there. And let's, you know, just like Amy's meeting with senators, here, meet with your MPPs, meet with your MPs, talk to them about what can Canada be doing better to help support people with brain injuries because there are too many people suffering on their own and not able to afford treatment, regardless of where you are in the world. So it's time that we need to stand up and we need to help support each other. And with enough of our voices, change will happen. And then it will be yeah. much easier to help people cope and learn new ways to live following a brain injury. All right. Absolutely. So, and and I would say one thing I would add too would just be um if you are still feeling alone, finding your local brain injury association or alliance group and getting involved with them. I know that that's just been really huge for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Build your island, you know, build bridges to other people. Yeah. Find others with knowledge. You know, even check in with your local universities or colleges. Maybe they have some programs there. Maybe someone's trying to do research, and that would really help you. You know, um, 
the world's out there and knowledge is growing and we can share it so easily. So let's keep doing that. So Amy, how can everyone reach you if they'd like to gather with you, they'd like to follow you? How is the best way for people to do that? Um, they can, my website is facesoftbi.com. Um, so it's faces of traumatic brain injury, TBI. Um, or they can follow me on Facebook. My Facebook group is called Amy's TBI Tribe. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram, so you can find me at any of those places. I love connecting with people all over the world. So. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've loved having you. I love connecting with you. I'm looking forward to Thanks projects. Thanks for having me. Here. And um, definitely, you know, everyone, please raise awareness. Awareness Month is the month of March, but certainly people are struggling every single day. So let's help them feel included in our world. And if you'd like to connect with me at all, you can find me all the time on Facebook at Grounded Roots Wellness, Inc. Or my other page, Sam Black Certified Psychic Medium and Wellness Coach. And our website, www.groundedrootswellness.ca. I am sending you all so much love. I cannot wait to connect with you again in two weeks. And definitely get out there. Learn more about concussions. Share with others because there's a lot we have to learn and share and grow with others. Have a great day, everyone. You're listening to Grounded Roots with Sam Black. Sam is a certified psychic medium, wellness coach, and is the executive director of Grounded Roots Wellness Incorporated and is your answer to finding wellness in every area of life.